this situation is not how I think we'd want anyone to confront the idea of death. Right. Um, but for kids, they perhaps they hadn't confronted this idea very seriously. They haven't had a, a grandparent or a relative pass away, and maybe they're wrestling with some very fundamental questions about their lives. Do you have any guidance for those parents in, in taking what is a very big question, but filtered through this very particular tragedy that just happened? Well, my recommendation would definitely be to use age-appropriate language. So you want to make sure that the child is clear about what's being said because confusion can often breed more anxiety. I'm Danny Wisentowski. There are images that shake you. The sight of schoolchildren fleeing out of windows, running out of their school, trying to escape gunfire. It must be one of them. And as those images of yesterday's school shooting at Central Visual and Performing Arts fill our screens, our social media feeds, it's hard not to think about the students, the teachers, and families who can't just turn off these images by turning off a screen. This day and its horrors will stay with them. And no matter your connection to this tragedy, it can affect us all. And if you need to talk with someone or feel overwhelmed, St. Louis Behavioral Health Response Crisis Lines provide telephone counseling and mental health resources 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can reach them at 314-469-6644. Again, that's 314-469-6644. Or dial their dedicated youth services line. That's 314-819-8802. You can also text BEHEARD, that's the letter B and H-E-A-R-D, to 8231658. You can also find these phone numbers on our website at stlonair.show. Now, there are approaches for healing in these kinds of moments and coping with the unimaginable. And here to talk about those tools, we welcome Marva Robinson, licensed clinical psychologist and member of the St. Louis Association of Black Psychologists. Marva, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Marva, this tragedy just it, it hits us in waves as we learn one new thing after the other. But when, when you first learned about this incident yesterday, where did your mind first go to of, of who is going to need help and what things need to be mobilized? I immediately thought of the students, um, first and foremost, um, as well as the surrounding neighbors that may have witnessed the children running out, that may have overheard the gunshots. Um, the teacher, the housekeeping staff, the maintenance crew. I thought of everyone that was involved um, or having some attachment to the building. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I've, there's so many reactions happening. And a lot of it is people asking, how do I manage my thoughts? How do I manage my emotions when it, when it feels like I can't control this ride that I'm on mm -hmm. or, you know, just feeling tears coming up, uh, thinking about this event? That kind of management, mm -hmm. what would you tell someone uh, uh, perhaps how to sit with those feelings, but also how to practically get through a day? Right. Well, that first of all, I would let them know that that's very common. And so to let them know that there's nothing wrong with having those emotions. In fact, it's expected um, and actually uh, is a normal expectation to have those feelings. So they will come. Um, it may feel random at times. You may, it may be triggered by something they see on TV or a certain phone call, but to allow those emotions to happen. But I would tell them first and foremost to reach out and lean on support. That is one of the most critical things that can be a, a big game changer for healing versus staying stuck. So even events like a candlelight vigil, being able to gather with others that were also a part of this incident, 
um, leaning on families, friends, trusted adults. Um, those are some of the key factors that will will help them to move through this. And at an event like a vigil where people are sharing their memories about these important people who are no longer there, mm-hmm. that can feel very, very sharp and, and perhaps even painful. But but can it be good to, to be in those it spaces? Can. It definitely can. So to be with other people who went through the same thing, so they have a perspective much more similar to yours and a parent who may not have been there, um, to share positive memories about those that are lost, um, with other loved ones. So there can be healing in being amongst like-minded individuals, those who share in those emotions. And, and just to see the, the, the support, you know, that in and of itself can be healing. Mm-hmm. Now, we've received, um, you know, uh, we put out a question on social media asking folks, you know, what are they thinking right now? What are they hearing from their own kids? And there was a comment from Kristen M. on Twitter who wrote, My eighth grader is struggling tonight with going to sleep. She and many of her classmates have been shadowing at different SLPS high schools as we are in the middle of the first application period. She's been trying to picture herself in each school as she visits. But now she can picture the schools because she just attended classes there last last week. She doesn't want to picture herself there now. Mm. And this, this sense that you know kids are, are very aware of, of this moment, but they're also thinking about the future and and where they might be going. What what might you tell Kristen M. and you know to help her her child just get through tonight, but also to get through the future? Right. Well, I would tell her to definitely um, just be on the lookout for changes in behaviors, and definitely impairment in sleep is one of the big ones. And so, making space for her child to have conversations with her mom about how she's feeling, what her thoughts are. So just making space throughout the day to have those conversations, um, providing her with factual information. I may also consider maybe limiting some social media um, contact because sometimes you can get misinformation that kind of takes on a whole different narrative. Mm -hmm. But still sticking to some of the routines about what schools we've looked at, what were the pros and cons, or what are some of the positives that can come out of it. And so this is a scary moment, but trying to also encourage her daughter not to let that define her future. Mm. What are some of the other behaviors that parents uh, should be, you know, keeping an eye out for? Because you know they want to respond in that in, in that moment, and some of these behaviors might be you know tough to deal with with the, for the parent. Is the kid acting out? Is there is there tension or aggression? What what should parents be looking out for? I think definitely impairment in sleep. Maybe sleeping later. Maybe tossing and turning or waking up early. Um, any decrease in appetite, maybe some irritability, a- aggression, wanting to isolate more, um, maybe not drinking as much water as they used to before, or maybe wanting to be with their friends more than usual. I would say as a good baseline, any behaviors that were not typical days prior would be something that would be worth looking into. Yeah. You know, last week we had a discussion here on the show about about death and about you know people who are in, in an end of life situation and mm-hmm. looking at that at that case in, in a healthy way in an affirmative way this situation is not how I think we'd want anyone to confront the idea of death right um, but for kids they perhaps they hadn't confronted this idea very seriously they haven't had a, a grandparent or a relative pass away and maybe they're wrestling with some very fundamental questions about their lives. If a child, you know, asks their parents, you know, how could this happen or why did it happen this way? And, and they're asking a question about, about death and about how our, our lives uh, work. 
Do you have any guidance for those parents in, in taking what is a very big question, but filtered through this very particular tragedy that just happened? Well, my recommendation would definitely be to use age-appropriate language. So you want to make sure that the child is clear about what's being said, because confusion can often breed more anxiety. Um, I would provide factual information. Um, certainly the children that went to school that morning did not expect this to happen, but sometimes that is the case. Um, that is why that school in particular spoke about the drills that they had. Um, and other schools do the same. So there are measures that people can um, take to try to be prepared and um, have a sense of routine for when something like this happens. However, um, that it is things that may come up that may be unexpected, but continuing to have those conversations, leaving space for the child to ask as many questions as they like, and also understand that it may not be a one-time conversation, that it may come up later on that evening, could come up next month or even next year. Right. Now, of course, the parents are also dealing with this trauma you know, directly as themselves. They're not just the caretakers of their children. They have their own emotions. They're, they're seeing this. And, and one of our questions as well um, was uh, you know, from Lashana L. on Instagram um, asking, what are we doing for the parents? And she writes, I say this because a lot of folks in the communities I grew up in still view this type of situation as a, quote, get over it one. Not only are folks ostracized for getting help, their families Families are shamed uh, be, just because perhaps they're pursuing therapy. Mm. Um, how, how would you, you know, lay out some guidance for these parents and, and when therapy or those kinds of resources might not be something they've encountered before, before this t- kind of terrible moment? Right. I would say that thankfully that trend is turning mm-hmm. where therapy is no longer taboo. Um, and so that would definitely be the way to go. Sometimes we may not have all of the answers. But you can speak with a professional to get guidance, um, even a family therapist to help the entire family go through this process. But definitely taking advantage of resources. And I'm sure that the school district will have postings of where families can go. I would say that there is no need to struggle in silence or to deal with this alone, that there is help available and out there. And just one phone call can make a dramatic difference in the healing of the entire family. Now, after you know this incident happened, you know SLPS came out and said we're providing a lot of mental health support. There are a lot of counselors, and you know this is something that SLPS itself has dealt with because kids survive and, and encounter gun violence and Absolutely. crime trauma, um, on, you know tragically uh, on on such a consistent basis that SLPS, you know, to of course their credit, has these resources Absolutely. and are ready. When thinking about perhaps compounded trauma, which is, I, I think, a phrase that you used with our producer, where some of these kids have experience with uh, this kind of violence or have gone through it, yeah. and some of this is very fresh. Um, right. what, what kind of pathways would you look at for those who are already um, have had this kind of trauma before and those who are just coming to this now? I would think that the counselors would take like a multi-step approach to this, making sure that parents are equipped Um, with resources to be able to assist the child. The parents are equipped with warning signs to be on the lookout for. Um, Even making sure that parents are aware that when you look at the family's um, course of incidents, right, Um, taking in fact the, the pandemic, but have they lost a loved one in the pandemic? Have they lost a loved one to gun violence? Have they um, been a part of any sort of a 
car theft or any sort of a violent crime and knowing that this may be yet another layer. And so those multiple incidents can have a significant impact. And so even if the child appears to be functioning okay, um, doesn't express a lot of emotions about this particular incident, for me that would cause a bit more concern because we certainly wouldn't want a child to become callous to something like this. And so those are usually some warning signs that, you know, maybe professional help is needed to kind of make sure that a child doesn't believe that this is how life is always supposed to be. Today, both of these schools, Central VPS and Collegiate School of Medicine and Bioscience, this is, you know, these two schools where this shooting took place, those schools are closed today. And in, in a mm-hmm. statement from SLPS uh, that really just, just hit me uh, like a train, um, the superintendent said, you know, this is the site of an ongoing police investigation. And the items that students left behind, we are going to be trying to reunite them. And, and just the notion that a student somewhere is thinking about their backpack that they left right. behind running. Um, a book, uh, a piece of technology. And in, to some degree, you know, perhaps they will be reunited with those things. But should those students return to that school? Will those, you know, is, is that, you know, how, how do you approach that question of, of, is that the right thing to do? Well, that definitely is a, a, a very large question. And I'm sure that SLPS is in consultation with psychologists and other professionals to help them navigate that decision. I can see both sides of it. One, Um, in wanting to reclaim that space and have a corrective experience, um, reclaiming it as a source of strength and um, not being pushed out of it. Um, On the other hand, I can also see the discussion about wanting to just simply be removed from something that has such a big emotional impact. So I'm sure they will be the ones to have that larger discussion, decide on which way they go. But hopefully, and I'm sure they will be open to parent feedback as well as feedback from the students as they make that that educated um, decision. Mm-hmm. Marva, in, in our last few minutes here, I wanted to ask, you know, and, and again, I should mention we're speaking with Marva Robinson, a licensed clinical psychologist and a member of the St. Louis Association of Black Psychologists. And, and I wanted to ask, you know, in terms of trauma being a long-term um, part of someone's life, this isn't going to end in Absolutely. this next 48 hours. And, you know, just in the way that, you know, a child might have a question later on tonight or tomorrow, the trauma is going to keep coming back. It's going to affect folks. The long-term arc of this, what what should people recognize in themselves and the people around them to try to heal? Absolutely. Great, great question. I think that is the most critical thing to remember is that this is not a momentary or situational thing. Um, The feelings and events from this can have impact in other areas of their lives and that it doesn't just end today or even when the school year ends. Um, These type of events, trauma can have an impact that can last decades. Um, You can speak to combat veterans about, you know, those who served in Vietnam and they still have these very surreal moments where it still impacts them today. And so it's very important to understand that trauma can last years and decades. Um, The determining factor about what it looks like today versus 20 years from now is the interventions, the amount of treatment and support that an individual has. Now, I, I did want to ask that the the association you're a part of, the St. Louis Association of Black Psychologists, you had done a lot of work during the Ferguson protests. And yes. while, of course, these, these situations are not the same, we're dealing with a traumatic death. We're dealing with a community reacting to the loss of someone that they were known. And this kind of, you know, every day there's something new. There's some new piece of information. And it, it feels 
like um, too much yes. very often. What did you learn, you know, from that experience of, of, of you know, looking at how people went through that process? And are there any lessons that you could bring to that now? I think one of the biggest things we learned was that we made the right choice in going to the community and going door to door. Um, I, you know, as a clinician, understanding that those first few days are the most critical in terms of getting interventions into place. Um, so having access to the community and people being open to receiving help was important to us. I think it made a big difference. We were able to leave coping skills behind, anything from journals to bubbles to teach breathing. And so I think just having that initial contact and not expecting people to call us or come to our office, but we were proactive in actually going to the community, going door to door. And I think that made a difference. Mm-hmm. And for, for folks who are listening now who, who may feel overwhelmed, do you have just a couple of, of, of ideas, the journaling you mentioned or breathing yes. exercises? What, what should people maybe take a chance to lower the tension in themselves. Right. I would say diaphragmatic breathing is a very powerful tool, and that's when you're breathing from the belly. Um, There's several great YouTube clips out there because it's a deeper sense of breathing that kind of helps with aiding relaxation. Um, Exercise is great. So even if it's a kid using a jump rope, any sort of movement is great. Um, Being mindful of how much sleep you get, uh, water intake, and then, of course, writing out your feelings. Sometimes when you don't feel safe to say the words, at least getting it out of your mind and down on paper is a skill that can be helpful. Marva Robinson is a licensed clinical psychologist and member of the St. Louis Association of Black Psychologists. Marva, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. And I should mention again that the St. Louis Behavioral Health Response Crisis Line provides telephone counseling and mental health resources 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They can be reached at 314-469-6644. Their dedicated youth services line is 314-819-8802. You can also text Be Heard, that's the letter B, followed by Heard, to 31658. And you can find those numbers, of course, on our website, stlonair.show. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.